G'day, I'm James Atfield, host of The Green Place. With the climate crisis intensifying, it's imperative that swift, transformative action be taken to avoid catastrophe. In order to secure a sustainable future, our world must rapidly transition away from fossil fuels, embracing innovative solutions that redefine the way we live and thrive. While government policies will play a critical role, it is the private sector that holds the key to the paradigm shift our Earth so desperately needs. The sustainability landscape is evolving at an unprecedented pace, and at the heart of the evolution is the explosive field of climate technology. A recent PwC report underscores this momentum, revealing that venture investment in climate tech has surged five times faster than the overall investment by venture capitalists from 2013 to 2019. In the private sector, venture capital is emerging as a driving force behind this transformative wave. Join us for a conversation with Eric Lee, Senior Vice President at Aligned Climate Capital, as we delve into the world of strategic investment that extend beyond mere financial gains. Eric, welcome to The Green Place. Thanks for having me, James. Pleasure to be here. Can you share a bit about your journey into venture capital and what led you to focus on climate? Yeah, happy to. Actually, my journey to kind of whole climate, sustainability, impact investing broadly goes back to my days in college. In undergrad, I went to Cornell University, got a bachelor's degree in biological sciences, and I tacked on a business minor in addition to that. Come my senior year, I was making a lot of career decisions on how to navigate my educational background to be a force for good in kind of the capital markets. In those discussions with counselors, professors, and all that, I was encouraged to explore a field called sustainability. And a decade ago, sustainability was more of a buzzword than an actual terminology. I think we're fortunate enough that it's a solidified term that gets published in newspapers and articles and all that. But it goes to show how rapidly the um, industry has been growing and scaling. I weighed a lot of my options. And from undergrad, I went directly to grad school. So I was admitted to Columbia University, did their sustainability master's, which is housed under the Earth Institute. And so that was a two-year program for me where I got exposed to all things sustainability. I got exposed to the nonprofit world, the consulting world, the finance world, and everything in between. And I think it was in grad school when I was really deciding, how do I create outsized impact as me, an individual, right? I quickly came to the realization that I'm not going to be Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos with billions of dollars in my pocket. But what I recognize what I can do is be a steward of up to billions of dollars and kind of funnel that money into areas and causes that I'm passionate about, right? For me, I kind of saw it in two ways. One, you could go into policy angle, enact change from the top down, make Fortune 500 companies adhere to certain climate policies and kind of dictate their behavior to some degree, or be an investor and channel lots of money into the space and kind of vote with your capital. For me, the latter was interested. So I, I dove into the investment world thereafter. So actually, during my graduate studies, I joined a firm called Sustainable Insight Capital Managers, a boutique public equities fund manager in New York City. This was ESG investing early days, so kind of think of proxy voting, high-level disclosure scores and all that. Quickly realized I wanted to be in the private markets from there. So did that for a while, transitioned to the private markets, so I joined a firm called Trialing Global. They're a private debt emerging market impact investing a debt investor. They're based in Los Angeles, here where I'm based today, and then did that for about three years, and then about 
a little shy of four years ago, I transitioned over to Line Climate Capital, where we do both venture investing, as you mentioned, but also infrastructure investing. So that's kind of my journey to where I am today. So you've been investing in climate tech space really since before it became this buzz around it. Can you sort of describe how it's changed in that period over the past 10 years? I think it's changed dramatically. I think in the beginning, earlier days, when people associated investing in climate, they thought of it as like a feel-good activity, somewhat of like a charity donation or some nonprofit giving. But I think today, when you, people talk about climate investing, it's equivalent to market rate returns. So you see a, a lot of these major financial institutions doing it, the Goldman's, the Boulder Brackage, private equity firms, the list goes on. So it definitely has become a place in the mainstream media. I think additionally, just from like a talent perspective, it's been booming as well. Just kind of give you an anecdote of what I've seen. So I finished my grad program in 2016, 2017, and looking for a job outside after graduating in that year, that's probably when Goldman had three ESU people. Morgan Stanley had three ESU people across their whole entire organization and smaller boutique shops didn't have any, right? Fast forward to where we are today in 2024, all these organizations have massive ESU teams and they're broken down by function. It may be on the investment side, it might be on the investor relations side, it might be on the research side, it could be on the operational side, the policy, you name it, compliance. So even from that perspective, the industry has grown tremendously. So it's really been cool to be part of that roller coaster ride from the earlier days. And my hope is that more and more capital will be flowing into the space and that what they say, it's like $50 trillion needed to kind of bridge the climate gap that's currently there. And without the power of capital markets and these larger asset managers, I don't know how else we'll do it. So I'm glad that it's becoming conversations at people's dinner's table. And, you know, when friends hang out, they talk about climate issues. It, it just needs to be more readily talked about. That is pretty amazing. Over 10 years, it's changed dramatically like that. When you're saying, you know, three people to now hold divisions, it's a, incredible. If that keeps, if the momentum keeps up, I wonder where we're going to be in another five or 10 years. As an investor, are you optimistic about the energy transition from fossil fuels to renewables? And has your opinion on that changed over the 10 years? I'm obviously biased because I'm in the field and I'm covered this area, you know, pretty intimately. I'd say that broadly, from a macroeconomics perspective, the market has undergone some challenges over the past year, interest rates being really high, the macroeconomic conditions not being most favorable to investors, and a few other things. But I'd say that it is a great time to be investing in climate just because there's a lot of policy and regulation behind the climate and clean energy transition. So last year is where the passage of the IRA was successful, and that induced trillions of dollars being poured into this ecosystem through government financing and other non-dilutive financing that people can access. Just to give you an example of like one thing that was game changer for the climate community is the extension of the investment tax credit, ITC for short for those in the industry, right? That program had a sunset horizon after a few years for it to dwindle down from what is a 30% ITC tax credit down to eventually a zero, but the government has extended that for another 10 years. In addition to that, they've added 10% adders to that program. So if you use domestic contents, you get a 30% plus 10%. If you develop a project in low, moderate income communities, you get an additional 10%. 
And then if you are in an energy impacted community, you get another 10%, right? So upwards of 60% of investment tax credits are available. So that really changes the dynamics when you evaluate an investment, right? So a project that was a good deal before just becomes all the more juicier from an investment perspective. And deals that were on the border of penciling now just hurdle with flying colors. And it takes a lot of sophistication and knowledge to navigate the national, state, and local regulations at play. But from my opinion, an investor in the climate space that knows how to navigate the kind of policy government arena well sets them up to be a successful climate investor. So government policies and regulations are influencing investment and growth quite a lot? I definitely say so. I think from my perspective, Climate, the clean energy transition is probably the second most regulated market in the U.S., only behind healthcare and pharmaceuticals. So you really need to understand what's happening at the White House, on the Hill. What are the discussions being taking place and how will those policy decisions trickle down and affect you as an investor? And then also the U.S. is like 50 different markets. We are 50 different states. So you need to know what's happening everything from Hawaii to Florida to Alaska to Maine and everything in between, right, to be a good investor. Just because nationally there's acceptance of some climate policy doesn't mean at a state-by-state level everybody's on the same page. And, you know, it keeps even more granular when you consider it on the local level. So having a good grip and good understanding of that really separates you positively from my perspective. Can you give us a bit of an insight into aligned capital climate capital investments and what most excites you? Yeah, there's a lot of things that excite me. It's like when people ask me what excites you about climate, there's a whole laundry list, but specifically about the firm and the strategy that we have for the venture bucket. I'm speaking about our venture bucket, but we do have two infra strategies on the side. I like the fact that we focus on proven and commercial technology. And that's one of the reasons why I love the team and the strategy, just because when you look at from a broader, big picture level of like, how do you address climate change? The UN has actually created a target of how to achieve our climate goals by the year 2050. When you kind of break that down into interim target goals by the year 2030, their research suggests that about 100% of all our climate kind of interim targets will be met by proven technology. And proven technology includes things that we're already aware of solar, wind, batteries, EV charging stations, things that you drive across from one state to another and you see in the market today. If you expand that horizon to 2050, their research shows that about 66% or about two thirds of it will be coming from proven technology opposed to breakthrough, innovative, deep tech, deep science type technologies. Again, I'm not throwing shade at deep tech, innovative and all that. I think that's absolutely critical and needed. But just from a simple pie chart, when you look at it, like where is the most impact going to be generated from a climate perspective? It's proven solution. And our strategy focuses on that specifically. So we focus on clean energy, electric transport, efficient buildings, and sustainable land use. And if there's one good thing about climate change, it's that we know where all the emissions are coming from. And we target those four sectors because that's where most of the emissions come from. So having this unique strategy, I think, is what differentiates Aligned, in addition to our ability to access and navigate the policy and regulation frameworks and nomenclature and just that whole mess that people easily get confused about. Just to give you context, our founding partners 
are coming from the Department of Energy. So if you're familiar with a gentleman named Jigger Shaw and what he's doing at the DOE's loan program office, Peter Davison, who's their CEO, and Brendan Bell, who's their COO, they ran that program under the Obama administration. So Jigger's doing that under Biden. They did that under Obama. So just having those connections on the hills really helps us. So I think all of that encapsulated into that's why I think Aligned is very special and poised to make really good investments. Are you able to speak to any of the infrastructure projects that Aligned Climate Capital is working on? Yeah. So we have our first infrastructure strategy is we have a dedicated solar strategy. It's a tax efficient play where we develop projects in tandem with project developers across the U.S. So we're on our sixth fund. So it's been around for a while. And we target what we call the middle market of solar. So projects that are too big for residential, but too small for utility scale solar projects. And general rule of thumb of what this middle market of solar is, it's anywhere from one to 10 megawatts. To date, a lot of our projects have been localized to the Northeast. So everywhere from like Maine down to like Virginia, it's kind of where we specialize. But we are expanding across the U.S. as states kind of community solar programs expand and develop over time. So simply put, we buy projects from solar developers at NTP. NTP stands for Notice to Proceed, and it's a fancy way to saying when projects are fully permitted, right? So we are the project equity that comes into these solar projects. We take them throughout construction. We own and operate these assets, and we have to hold these assets for a minimum of five years to not trigger the recapture that comes up with the tax-efficient strategy that we have. So that's a quick high level of what that strategy is. In addition to that, we also have a climate infrastructure strategy in a partnership with Aries Asset Management, but I'll just leave it at that for now. Sure. So can you describe how Aligned Climate Capital incorporates ESG principles into the investment process? Yeah, I mean, sustainability is actually just baked into our DNA. It's like climate is in our name, so we're not shy about sharing people what we do, how we do, and who we are. So ESG, I guess, to take a step back and to kind of show you what our philosophy is, is we bifurcate the practice of ESG and impact, right? So for us, ESG is a risk mitigation tool that helps us identify non-financial but material risks and opportunities associated with an investment opportunity. So things like How many workplace accidents have there been? Are there any outstanding legal issues that the company is dealing with? Is there fair wages? Things that's not going to be captured in the three-statement financial analysis that a lot of companies do. We try to qualitatively slash quantitatively capture that into our own bespoke analysis. Impact, on the other hand, is kind of the way that we view it is the positive footprint that these investments have on both people and planning. So, for example, one of our portfolio companies, Summit Ridge Energy, just picking on them because that's the very first venture investment we've made. They're a community solar developer based in Virginia, right? And what they do is they develop community solar projects. So we could actively and easily quantify how many solar projects have they deployed to date? What's the nameplate capacity? How much kilowatt hours of clean energy have they generated? And then in turn, calculate the GHG emissions avoidance to their efforts. So... That's impact for us. That's not ESG. ESG is more of the risk and opportunities. So all that is baked into our investment decision process, investment monitoring process. And we also kind of are using globally recognized standards to feed our framework as well. So at a high level, we're signatories of the PRI, 
the UNPRI. We are also supporters of TCFD and their climate framework. For our analysis, we used the SASB materiality map, which became a universally accepted kind of framework. In addition to the SASB materiality map, we created our own kind of bespoke, more detailed and more specific sectors and industries that are more pertinent to the areas that we invest, just to help better assist our analysis. All of our impact metrics are tied to the UN SDGs. And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the Global 17 goals, but we take it a layer deeper. So there's targets and indicators that lie beneath the 17 global goals. So to showcase our sophisticated kind of impact nature, we align our impacts to the underneath layer, the, the layers beneath 17 goals, just to show how seriously we take this effort. So that's kind of a high level of what our philosophy is in this space and how we approach both ESG and impact. Amazing. It's been great chatting with you today and learning about your experiences and also learning more about Aligned Climate Capital. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. Really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of The Green Place. Visit greenly.co to learn more about environmentalism. 